0: Good morning, it's good to be here, I'm delighted to be with you, and um, a little raspy, I've enjoyed a cold for the last few weeks, anybody can identify with that, so if I take a break every once in a while for a water break, you'll understand that, that's allowable, in fact Carl gave me a whole glass of this stuff, I said brother if I drink all that it'll be a very short sermon today, (laughs) would you turn your Bibles to the the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. I want to thank you for your support cooperatively, and from five thousand international missionaries, five thousand North American missionaries, sixteen thousand seminary students that you support when you give cooperatively. Thank you locally for your support of the Justin Retreat Center, for the BCM and LSU, the Seafarers Ministry in Gonzales, for the seminary extension here in town. Also, church planning that we're doing, we started, in fact, we started a a new work uh, at the old Brookstown facility that that had become uh, vacated, and now an African-American fellowship, a Baptist, Southern Baptist fellowship is there. They're averaging about 150 in worship every Sunday with a new pastor, so we're excited what God's doing. Two weeks ago, we started a a new Filipino congregation here in town, and so they're about, we have Four multilingual uh, congregations, Filipino, Vietnamese, Korean, and Hispanic, and so I'm excited about what God's doing. In fact, I had a chance to preach at the Vietnamese church a few weeks ago with an interpreter. Now, you understand, I've done that a lot, but to be able to, it it was just a real flavor because everybody was speaking Vietnamese but me, and after I'd finished, finished being there and they said, this is our Thanksgiving lunch. So you get to eat with us today, but you cannot eat anything that looks familiar to you. So it was a lot of fun, and God is doing a great work at the, Filipino, at the Filipino church on Cedar Crest. So I'm excited what God's doing. I'm excited what God's doing in your church. Two weeks ago, I was with Grace Baptist. You know, have you ever heard of that church before? Byron was in uh, Uganda, and he asked me to preach for him. And the first time I preached for Byron back in September, he said, now, he said, I'm not going to tell you what to preach, but I've just finished up the book of Colossians, and I want you to finish the last part of Colossians, two verses he gave me. <clears throat> I was able to get in 50 minutes anyway, but nevertheless, and so he says, now, I said, well, since you told me what to preach last time, where do you want me to preach? He said, well, it's the beginning of Advent, I said, all right, well, what I normally do during the Advent season when I was at Woodlawn is that I would preach through either Matthew or Luke's gospel because I'm an expositor by heart. So this year was my Matthew study. So on that first Sunday of Advent, I preached Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 18 on the genealogy. That excites you, doesn't it? And then last week, I was at, uh, what was that church I was at? I was at some other church last week. I was in, I was in um, Donaldsonville. The work down in Donaldsonville, if you're familiar with that, that's a great need down there. God is starting a work and begin and continuing work there, but I had the privilege to preach on Mary and Joseph, but today we'll be in Matthew chapter 2 on the Magi, the Magi. Are you there yet? Are you there? Matthew chapter 2, we'll begin reading verses 1 through 12, uh, just so you're aware of this, we have a... Christmas parade this afternoon that I will be in. I'll be giving out 700 Jesus DVDs as I'm going down the track. So I'll be sort of sowing down the gospel, even at the Christmas parade today. And then there's a there's a sort of a Christmas party at Woodlawn and all that stuff that we've done for years. But it's a great way. I've got I've got Woodlawn's website on there. I've got Parkview's website on there. I've got Redeemer's website on there and Bagber's website on those. Those DVDs were given away so we can just sew down the gospel, give them an access point. But I'll be in that today. And Edna Henderson, or no, her not Henderson. What is it? name? Dunaway. She said, does that mean there's going to be a short sermon? I said, not a chance of that. Matthew 2, you there? Let's stand, please, as we read. You fall on silent as I read aloud. I'm reading from the NASB. I think you use the ESV, and that's close enough to the NASB, okay? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod heard Heard the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you will come forth a ruler Who will shepherd my people Israel? Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of what? Of gold frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Join me as we pray. Father, we're grateful for the morning and for the opportunity to study your word. We pray that not only would we study your word, but your Holy Spirit would have access to study us and that you would reveal things in our life that need to be changed. And that we would have the faith and obedience to say yes to you. Lord, may there be those that need the strength and the encouragement from your word by your Holy Spirit. May you effectively do that today. May those who are hurting and need comfort this morning and healing and restoration. May, Lord, you meet their needs this morning. And we pray, Lord, if there be one here or some here who've never trusted Christ, who've never understood what it means to be born again, that their hearts would be open, their eyes would be open, their lives would be transformed, that they would believe on the gospel and be born again, and that you would be pleased not only with the words of our mouths, but the meditations of our heart. For it is in the matchless name The name above every name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. When you think about this story, it's somewhat of a mystery about the Magi. They come very quickly. They're, They're on the scene. They're there for 12 verses, and then they're gone. How many Magi were there? Where did they come from? Where did they go back to? Who were they? What did they really believe? I think sometimes when we look at the scriptures, here there are probably more questions than we have answers. And yet I believe that reality, sometimes in this season, there's a lot of sights and sounds of Christmas, but people really don't know what it's about. You know, I've been uh, one of my goals is to meet and eat with every pastor in our association. Since January, I'm up over 60 now, and my waistline is telling me that. But what I do this time of year, I will um, the waiters that will come and serve us, or the waiter, I ask them this question. During this season of life, and during this season of the year, what are the five most important things to you about Christmas? It's a great question. It sort of peaks their interest. It's not you know, I direct, if you died today, do you know where you'd go? I'll eventually get to that. But the point is, it allows us for a little dialogue. So I was at a, at a particular restaurant in town. I asked the waitress, I said, what are the five big deals for you at Christmas? She said, well, family and food. She says, I like the music. I said, well, I like that too. She said, I love all the decorations. And then she looked at me. She said, and there's something about Jesus in this too. I said, yes, it is. And she said, what's the five most important things to you about Christmas? I said, I'm glad you asked that question. Well, we have an opportunity to tell the gospel. We have an opportunity to give a great witness of the gospel. May we not let that dry upon us. This season is our season. Amen? He is the reason for the season. And so as we have the opportunities, let us be able and willing and ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us and seize the opportunities. I want to talk this morning briefly about the Magi, the Magi, but I want to talk first of all about the time and the times of Jesus' birth. Now, just as you look at this story, let me talk about the time here for just a few moments. You all are aware that our Western calendar is based upon the birth of Christ. Are you aware of that? Can I get a holy night from some of you this morning? In fact, it's broken into two specific eras, B.C. and A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ. A.D. stands for... After death, that's what you're thinking. But it stands for Anno Domino, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. And so, but, however, when you look on any on any study of the birth of Christ, it's he should be born on what date? Zero. But when you look, it says he was born on 4 B.C. Now, you think about that. Think about that. If we date our calendar based upon the birth of Christ, Jesus was born five years before Christ. Hello, are we here yet? Well, we understand that in 1582, Pope Gregory, what we now understand, inaugurated what we know as the Gregorian calendar, which is the western calendar. So, I know that you're thinking that after Jesus was born, they dated everything from zero on. But it really wasn't that way. Our calendar really as we know it today did not come into being till about 500 years ago. What they discovered in the process is they were trying to backdate based upon the Julian calendar. I'm not going into all the detail, but I'm just going to say this. They are about four years off. So the reality is that once now they... Rather than to change the calendar all up again, we just say that he was born in 4 BC. You remember coming upon the Y2K, do many of you remember that, and how the hysteria about coming upon the, the year 2000? Do you realize in reality the year 2000 came into being in 1996? And so we were four years late in our hysteria over that chain. So if you're looking at your calendar, the time is quite interesting. Understand the date. Also the times, the times in which Jesus was born. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, in the fullness of time God brought forth his son born of a woman. The times were quite interesting. In fact, the wording there, in the fullness of time, it means at the very precise time in human history, at the fullness, at the pleroma of time, God made sure that his son came to earth. It was not just a default time in history. It was a designed time in history. It occurred during what we understand today is called the Pax Romana, which was 200 years of relatively uh, warless period of time. In the Roman Empire, was a time of, uh, of quietness. It was a time of peace. And Jesus was born at the very precise time in human history that the Father determined this is the right time. You know why? Because God's in charge of history. The word history literally means His story. And so at that precise time, God brought forth His Son for that very precise moment in time, and God laid it all out. You know, what we see today is we're not careening down through history aimlessly, chaotically. As much as God was in charge of the history about his first advent, he is, much, he is as much in charge, and even more, if you please, if it be possible, about the second advent as well. What we see going on in the world today, whether it be in Iraq or Iran or in the U.S. or wherever or in Russia, we need to understand that God is in control. Can I get an amen? Amen. God is sovereign over time. God is sovereign over eternity. And what we see today is that there is a real expectation as it was then. There is now that something is going on. And I submit to you, something really is going on. God is moving us to a direction and to a point and a place for for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the exciting thing about it is that you and I are alive. We could have been born at any time in human history, yet you and I are alive for such a time as this. It is both a time of excitement, but it is also a time of expectation. I believe that you and I live at the greatest day of human history. I believe that we're going to see some of the most incredible things in the weeks and the months and the years to come. I believe that we're going to see an outbreak of worldwide revival and missions like the world has never seen because I believe that latter rain that we're a part of. And you're a part of that whether you're in Uganda or in Mexico or China or Brazil or wherever, that we live in this day and this time for such a time as this, as exciting as the first coming was, and all the time, I'm excited that we live today. I'm excited about what God may allow us, us, you, and me, to not only witness, but to be a part of as well. Secondly, I want to look at the trouble, the trouble that was caused by his birth. Most of the time we think about the birth of Christ, we think of peace, goodwill toward men. Peace and goodwill everywhere. But your eyes at the at the advent of Christ, at the advent of Jesus, there was trouble at his advent. Look at what the scripture says. Look at verse 3. And when Herod the king heard this, he was. What does your Bible say? Troubled. Stirred provoked. You see, when Christ came, the first group that got troubled or got concerned were politicians. Amen. The word was that, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now Herod, Herod the Great that we know him, was a tireless, tireless worker. He was a builder. In fact, when you go to Israel, and I'll be there in February, when you go there, you will find hippodromes and amphitheaters and buildings that were the craftsmanship and the handiwork of Herod the Great. He sought to do all this building in order to curry the favor of the Jews that they may like him. They never would. But nevertheless, not only was he a tireless builder, but he was a tyrant. He was an egotistical maniac. He was so jealous of anyone that would dare to have the appearance to usurp his authority. So much so that because Herod practiced Levitical dietary law, he wouldn't kill his own pigs. And yet when there was the prospect or the suspect that two of his sons may usurp his reign, He murdered his own sons. He murdered one of his wives, Miriamini. In fact, there was a jingle that circulated in ancient Palestine. It was safer to be Herod's pigs than his own sons. That being said, when he heard these words from the Magi, it stirred him up, and not in a good way. Notice There's some things I want you to understand. Where is he, if if you'll look please at verse 2. This is what stirred him up. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. You see, when the word came, this is what they were saying. That little statement magnified, first of all, his own inferiority. No one likes to be feeling inferior. But it says, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod was an Idumean which means this, he was not a Jew. And for that very reason, this king who has been born is a Jew. And immediately in his presence, the prospect was the magnification that he was already inferior to this king who's been born. Not only was it a, a statement about his inferiority, But it's a statement about his own disqualification. He says, where is he who was born king of the Jews? As much as he wanted to be a king, excuse me, of the Jews, he could never be because of his lineage, because of his background, and all that was attached to that. And so by them continuing to say, where is he who was born king of the Jews, it was saying to Herod, because he was he was quite paranoid. It was saying to him, This guy, this one who was born, is your superior, is your superior. He is the one who is qualified. You are inferior, and you are disqualified. And the third thing that I find to be really interesting, that really upset him more than anything else, it says, and we have come to help me here, come to what? worship him you see with all the building projects that Herod had going he wanted people to like him now they feigned favor to him they acted like they liked him but they couldn't stand him they they had nothing but vitriol for Herod and yet this one being born <laughs> these magi don't just like him they want to Worship him. Now, if you're a paranoid, egotistical king, don't you think that would have troubled you just slightly? Well, I just say this to us today. The presence of Jesus Christ should make all of us shaken because we are falling short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy of, None of us deserve the grace or the goodness of God. And there's a sense that in this present, you know, we can compare ourselves to others and we may look good and we may even appear good, but the reality is that before holy God and especially the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not good. We fall short of the glory of God. Not only was Herod troubled, not only was he upset, But notice something else. It says, Herod was troubled. Look at verse 3. And all of Jerusalem with him. Now, this may be said about Herod. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Or it could be said, misery loves, and that's the way Herod was. If he wasn't happy, you're not about to be happy, okay? If he were miserable, I'm going to make sure everybody else is miserable with me. You know anybody like that? Let's don't talk about Christmas with family, okay? But what we find in this passage is that he then brought the religious leaders in. Now, look at verse 4. Look at verse four. Gathering all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Not only was there trouble for the rulers, there was trouble for the religious group as well. Jesus would make the religious crowd uncomfortable. Now look please at verse 4. You need to see this. It says that he inquired of the religious leaders. Now what you do not see, the imperfect verb in the original language means this. He was constantly trying to get some information out of these religious leaders. You see, these religious leaders were fearful to show any allegiance to anyone other than Herod. And though they were religious, and though they had the copy of the Word of God, the scrolls, especially the book of Micah, apparently, they were reluctant to confess (laughs) they knew where the Messiah would be born. Because the word there literally has the idea of Herod was continually inquiring, tell me, tell me, where is this one to be born? And finally it says, they told him in Judea, in Bethlehem of Judea. Well, you see, they were priests, they were scribes, they did their religious duty, but they served at the pleasure of Herod. They lived in two worlds. They did religion, and yet, reality, they served another king. You think we have people in church like that sometimes? Not here, of course, but other churches, in which we fulfill our obligation. We do our religious thing, we sing, we teach. We have the outward appearance of great piosity and religiosity, but the reality is we serve at the pleasure of another king whose name is not Jesus. The most uncomfortable people in all the world around Jesus are religious people. You know why? Because they don't serve Jesus. They serve another king. Even the religious crowd was uncomfortable, troubled by the presence of Christ. Now, we have a lot of religion today in our world, but I submit to you that Jesus makes the religious crowd feel uncomfortable. I know I've been in in groups, and they've asked me to pray. And I said, "Let me explain to you something. If I pray, I'm not going to pray in the name of God." I'm not going to pray in the name of the Lord. I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Because, now, I don't know who you pray to and how you close it off, but I will pray in the name of the one who died on the cross for my sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and arose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the name I will pray in. And if you don't want me to pray, If you don't want me to pray in that name, just don't ask me to pray because that's the name I'm going to pray in. Jesus is a name today that creates a stir. I don't know if you're aware of this. In a recent area of our country, they have banned the use of the name of Jesus in any public prayers. You can say God and Lord But brothers and sisters, let me just say this to us right now. If we belong to Jesus, we have no no option to pray in any other name but the name of Jesus. Amen? And we should unapologetically pray in His name. Well, thank you. Amen. Thirdly, The people were troubled. What happened as a result of them discovering that Jesus was been born in in, in Bethlehem, they would dispatch those soldiers down there eventually, and there would be a great time of sorrow and grief. Children under two years of age were killed by Herod's troops, and they said, well, you know, once again, bloodshed in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. No. My question is, who was king? I think so often we blame Jesus for the the perversion and the wickedness of the hearts of men. There's trouble. There's trouble with Christ coming. Thirdly, I want to talk about the travelers real quickly who came because of his birth. Now, let me ask you just a real quick question about these magi. Who were they? You know anything about them? Well, what we know about them, some would say, I've heard them say they were sorcerers, they were magicians, they were king makers, they were uh, kings, but who were they? Do we have any, any frame of reference, anything in the Old Testament that would somehow give us some linkage or at least some clarity to know who these Magi were? Well, as a matter of fact, we do. Are, are you aware that there's one book in the Bible that mentions Magi? One book in the Old Testament? It is the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Now, in the, in the what we call the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the name or the word Magi is mentioned eight times in the book of Daniel. Now, you know about Dan, don't you? You're pretty familiar with Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 says that Daniel was more excellent, more knowledgeable 10 times than all the sorcerers and magi, et cetera, et cetera, of Babylon. Later on in Daniel chapter 2, it says that Daniel was placed on over the magi that were in Babylon. Fast forward a little bit further. Chapter 6, when Babylon was taken over by the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian, Daniel was placed over all the wise men and magi of the land of not only Babylon earlier, but now Persia Persia later. So in my humble but accurate opinion, that the magi that are mentioned here, or magi that were under the tutelage and under the influence and under the instruction of a guy by the name of Daniel. And furthermore, that Daniel is the only book in the Old Testament in chapter 9 that specifically lays out a timeline and a time frame that would bring us to the point of the birth of Christ in chapter 9 under the 70 weeks of Daniel. You put all that together, and you come up with this understanding that these magi were not just simply pagan magi. uh, magi, They were not just simply astrologers, but these were men who for some four to 500 men had been passed down the Word of God, the understanding of a Messiah that would be coming, and that what we have here is that they were taught the Word of God. When these celestial events lined up with the Word of God, they knew it was time, it was time to move the direction towards back towards the west. You see, a wise man is someone who knows the Word of God, discerns the times that he lives in so that he will be able to do the will of God. I believe that these Magi were Messianic Magi. What I find to be really interesting is that they came from Babylon and Persia. Now, do you find that to be significant today? 2,000 years later, guess who's back on the map? Babylon today, as you well know, is Iraq. And Persia today is Iran. 2,000 years later, God's at work. And I believe that God is at work in Iraq. From what I'm understanding from the IMB, God is even at work in Iran today. Well, so these Messianic Magi arrived, and what did they do? What did they do? Now, if you'll look down in verse verse 10, you you do understand something. Are you there in verse 11? If you are, just get you there verse 11. And after coming to the house, they saw the child. Now, understand, there's been a time change from Luke's gospel. Are you aware of that? Because in Luke's gospel, he was in a probably cave or stable or he was. the Bible says he was placed in a manger. But now he is in a house, and the word that described the child here is no longer the word brephos, which means newborn, but "pideon," which means a toddler. So probably a two-year time frame has elapsed now. So the reality is that the Magi, now, if, uh, uh, by saying what I'm about to say, I don't want to mess you up, but if you have the Magi coming to Bethlehem and to the stable, don't throw them away and say, oh, that's all wrong. Just leave them there, Okay. But they did arrive just a little bit later, and the baby was a little bit older at the time, possibly 18 months to two years later. Church history tells us that they came almost two years later on January the 6th. That's when we start making the king cakes. But anyway, that's another story altogether. When they arrived, I find this to be very interesting. What did they do? They brought to him what? They gave him what? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Please notice something in Scripture. And after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. Excuse me, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and Worship him. You see, what happened when they came, is that the first response was not to give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first response to Christ was to worship him. You see, when we come to Christ, our response is to worship him. Christmas is about worshiping Christ. In fact, the the, the word there, Christmas. Christos is Greek for Christ, Mass is Latin for worship. It literally means Christ worship. Yeah, there are a lot of songs that are holiday songs, but they're not Christmas songs because they're not Christ worshiping songs. Let me let me read this statement to you. Worship is not our offering God something that He needs. But rather it is our yielding to Him that which He deserves. And only He is worthy of such. Worship is not when we bring God something. If we come here this morning and think we've done God a favor and we've worshipped Him or we've, we've served Him. No, no, no. Worship is not something God needs. It is something that He deserves. God made us to worship Him. And worship is when we have nothing to offer Him other than to yield ourselves totally and completely unto Him. He is worthy of our worship. Secondly, the Scripture says, that the Magi came and fell down and worshiped him, not them. Did you hear the difference? They worshiped, say it with me, they worshiped him, not Mary at best is a servant, Mary best was a devoted follower of the Lord, but she is not worthy of worship. She is not worthy of praise. She is not a co-mediatrix. She is not a co-redemptress. She is to submit unto him and obey him just like we do. When they came in, they worshiped him and not them. For He alone is worthy, and He shares His glory with no other. Once we come to that point in our life of worship, have we gathered here this morning and and worshiped Him? Then notice, please, what comes. We give Him our gold, our frankincense, and myrrh. Giving God's service, giving God gifts, is the overflow of our worship, not the essence of our worship. Say that again, Tommy, because that was good. Giving God our gold and our frankincense and myrrh is the overflow of a heart that worships. We give Him our we give them our money. We give them our gifts. Why? Because we're, we have to? No, because we want to. We desire to give. We give them our frankincense, and frankincense speaks of service in the temple. We, we sing and we teach, not because, oh, i got to teach today or i got to work in the nursery today. No, if we worship him, Service will overflow out of that. We will say, I get to do this. I get to work with toddlers today. I get to work with teenagers today. Why? Because worship is us giving to God what he deserves, and then our service is simply the overflow of our worship. And thirdly, Our gold, our frankincense, and our myrrh. Myrrh speaks of suffering. Myrrh speaks of sacrifice. What small thing do we sacrifice for him? In giving, in going. We willingly, willingly give. So my question to us this morning is, have you worshiped? I didn't say, did you give your money? I didn't say, did you sing a song? I didn't say, did you teach a lesson? But have you worshiped him? Have you given him the praise and the honor that is due his name? Because he is deserving and worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of all of the glad songs I can give him. He is worthy, worthy indeed. Amen? Last thing. Three things about these Magi that stand out. Who were they? What did they do? And then the last thing is its curious to me. How did they leave? How did they leave? Before I go any further, how will you leave this morning? If we have worshiped, there will be two things that will always be obvious in genuine worship. Look at verse 12 and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. How did they leave? Here's the first way they left. They left fearing God more than fearing man. I'm sure that the influence of Herod had been great, and they had, with all the best intentions, said, we'll come back. And because he was the king of the Jews, they felt compelled to go back, but once God had dealt with them and said, you will not go back to Herod. The word of man paled by comparison to the word of God. Worship breaks the grip of human influence and allows the pervasive grip of God in our life. These magi were warned And they said, I could care less what Herod thinks. That influence, that grip has been broken. Worship is when God does this to the grip of the world on us. He breaks it, and we leave here saying, no longer. Has that grip, sin, repression, influence, none of that Worship breaks the grip of man and sin. Not only did they have that grip broken, no longer were they free to go, but notice what it says, and they went back another way. Now, do you understand that all the roads from Bethlehem, which was six miles, just a little bit away from Jerusalem, all the roads from Bethlehem, most of the main roads went right back through Jerusalem. If they were going to go back to Babylon, Persia, the main roads would lead them back. The broad roads would lead them back through Jerusalem. What do you think had they gone back through Jerusalem, what would happen? Probably Herod would have killed them, knowing his propensities. But instead it says they went a... Another way. You see, worship does this. We don't go the way we used to go. We don't go the broad way. We don't go the popular way. We go the way that God has said, this is the way I want you to go. You know, I believe that there are some people here this morning that have been dealing with some way in their life, some direction in their life, and you need to go another way. You need to change your plans. It may be a road less traveled, but it's the surest, straightest way to home. That's what the Magi did. Worship breaks the grip of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Worship changes our desire to go the way of the world to go to the way of the cross. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me speak to us as believers this morning. What might the Lord have spoken to us today? What road are you traveling on? What influences are in your life today? Has there been a real sense of worship here this morning? Or just a sense of obligation? Do we do religious duty and yet we serve another king? May this morning in the quietness of our heart and in humility before Christ, we say, Lord, I worship you this morning. I bow before you. You were deserving and worthy of my submission and surrender unto you. I have nothing to offer, Lord, save my su- submission unto your will. Change my heart. Break my will. Have mercy today, O Lord. Maybe there are those who are serving the Lord, who live a life of obedience and these things just simply confirm what God is doing and saying in your life. Maybe He's moved you to a, another step, a deeper commitment. Maybe to become an active member of this fellowship, a wonderful church, a place where you can serve Christ, be involved in the ministries, of this local fellowship that are touching not only this area, but the ends of the earth. Maybe this morning you would say yes. Yes to the call to obey the Lord and to serve Him in this wonderful fellowship. Or maybe there are those this morning who've never been born again. And all that's been said today, though it has piqued your curiosity, you still don't really understand because you don't belong to Christ. The Bible says, Seek the Lord and he will be found. Draw near to him. And the Lord is drawing you near to him this morning, to himself. Would you respond to his grace? That Christ died for you and died for me and took our place on the cross. He took our disgrace. He took our wrath. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the world. For God so loved the world. The Bible says he was buried and he arose on the third day. According to the Scriptures, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you respond to Him this morning? Father, we pray that Your will be done. We desire that You be pleased with not only with the words of our mouths, but the meditations of our heart, and then the obvious changes in our life. For it is in the worthy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.